0: You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. At Locked NFL Pods, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On to get twenty percent off your next order. It was a week of critical games. Week eight, we're getting down to it. I mean, this is this is where the real stuff starts to happen because the games really matter now. We know who the playoff teams are. We know who's jockeying for position. We know whose seasons are pretty much over. It's what makes an an outcome like the Vikings beating the Packers so surprising. And what makes the Bengals beating the Titans so surprising. But then you have these other games. The Raiders and the Browns play a preposterously ugly 16-6 game that also featured Trent Brown having to go to the hospital because of a dangerous IV situation. And of course... We have games that separate contenders from the proverbial pretenders, and maybe not pretenders. We don't have to get that cliche. We don't have to get that crazy here. But there were certainly games between playoff teams that offer some insight, at least on where those teams are right now. Is it going to be where they're going for sure not necessarily. So, let's dig into some of that because our Monday show is about taking the biggest stories and breaking them down with the local experts. The marquee matchup of the weekend pitted the 6 and 0 Pittsburgh Steelers against the 5 and 1 Baltimore Ravens in an AFC North showdown. Pittsburgh ultimately prevails 28 to 24, and that leads to some interesting questions. We've talked a lot about the Pittsburgh Steelers on this show, a surprise 7 and 0 in a lot of ways. But I think this game was just as much about what Baltimore did and didn't do. They're now 5-2 and two with losses to the Chiefs and the Steelers. Lamar Jackson throws a pair of interceptions. And we're still wondering when they're going to win a big game, at least in 2020. And certainly coming off the playoff loss, this is something that has dogged this team. Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens joins me now. And Kevin... It seems like, for better or for worse, this big game question, whether it's about Lamar Jackson or this team as a whole, is just going to dog this team until they come up with a big one.
0: Yeah, it's hard for Baltimore to shake this right now, especially with what we saw on Sunday where, yes, the Steelers win by four points here. And if you look back to Lamar Jackson's career as a starting quarterback, this is his first loss in his NFL career to a team in the regular season not named the Kansas City Chiefs or the Cleveland Browns. So only the third team he's lost to in his career. Now Kansas City's been a bit of a bit of a dog fight for him, hasn't really been able to come out with a win. But the Ravens just in this game in particular, shot themselves in the foot so many times over and over and over again. In the last two games for Baltimore against Philadelphia in week six before their week seven bye, and here again in week eight against Pittsburgh, Baltimore has a combined 21 penalties for 242 yards, and that's just the accepted ones. There have been a few that have been declined. It's just, you know, you mentioned the turnovers as well. The turnovers, is not necessarily like, oh, you know, there are midfield interceptions. Pittsburgh gets the ball at the 50. First drive of the game for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, there's a pick six to Robert Spillane, who's actually filled in quite admirably for Devin Bush on that Steelers defensive front. Then to open up the second half and deepen their own territory, Lamar Jackson throws an interception on what was pretty much the same exact play called the same exact read from a last year's game against Pittsburgh where Mike Hilton made the same exact play. So Pittsburgh gets the ball deep in Baltimore territory. They're able to score a touchdown. The defense, you know, there are questions about what this defense did and didn't do. There were a lot of unfortunate situations the defense was put in. But also, Baltimore had the ball around the Pittsburgh 10-yard line. And Lamar Jackson holds that ball for a bit too long on a pass play. Bud Dupree forces it out. Baltimore comes away with no points. The big game narrative for Lamar Jackson this Baltimore Ravens team. He won a few big ones in 2019. The 49ers, who were a great team last year. He beat the Patriots and Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. He went 14-2 and last season, but ultimately what is coming down to now is the choke against the Chargers in the playoffs, the choke against the Titans in the playoffs, Kansas City, and now to Pittsburgh in a game where, despite the penalties, despite the turnovers, they were in a pretty good position to win that game late. And all in all, the pieces just did not fit.
1: What's remarkable is if you just looked at the box score of this game, you would have thought Baltimore won by 20. I mean, they out they out uh, gained the Pittsburgh Steelers by more than double. They beat them in first downs. They they <laughs> they had six times as many rushing yards, almost, <laughs> and beat them in pass. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger couldn't even get to 200 yards passing. This game was about the turnovers and and the critical uh you know, complementary but more situational football that the Baltimore Ravens couldn't play. And I think that builds into this, if you want to call it clutch narrative. Again, it's not just Lamar Jackson. I mean, this is this is the whole team. The defense gives up, you know, the the 28 and and couldn't get the critical stops when they needed them. This is a game that the Ravens were winning at halftime. And so it's not even like, oh, they they got down early and Lamar Jackson had to bring them back. No, this was a lot of self-inflicted stuff. Is that potentially a case that, you know, maybe this is just a little fluky? And it, when these two teams play again, look, the Ravens are just better. And and all of the, the key metrics say that except the turnovers.
0: Yeah, it's easy to look at it that way. And certainly the penalties, again, didn't help. Turnovers, again, didn't help. Baltimore really, you know, had all these... Odd stacked against them. You know, Etzbers were picking Pittsburgh and this and that and the other. Baltimore likes being the underdog. But now you have a situation where you go into a game and the offense starts off really cold. And then you lose your starting right guard in the first quarter. You lose your star Pro Bowl, all pro left tackle for the season in the first quarter. So you're already down two offensive linemen and, you know, the first 15 minutes isn't even up yet. And then Matthew Judon in the second quarter gets ejected for contacting an official. He did it inadvertently, but still, you know, you, you touch an official. He kind of swung a little bit at his arm. He was trying to free his arm as he was getting held back by a staff member. You, you touch an official, you're out. So that that's all that's there. But for the Ravens in this whole narrative, are they better than Pittsburgh? Is Pittsburgh, you know, a true contender or not? Pittsburgh's a very good team. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But when these two teams yep. play again on Thanksgiving, I think that this Baltimore team will be in a better position to win the game because I have to believe it. I just have to believe at that point the Ravens will have shored up the penalties. Lamar Jackson will have improved as a passer because we've seen the steady growth from Lamar Jackson from his rookie year to his sophomore season, that MVP campaign. And then from that MVP campaign, the stats aren't there for him. You're not looking at the box scores. And you're not saying, "Oh, Lamar Jackson blowing me away MVP performances," but I think everybody in their right mind expected somewhat of a statistical drop off from Lamar Jackson in the Ravens' offense. What they're doing is they're efficient, and you're right, Peter. This Ravens' offense outgained the Steelers, you know, almost by six times in the rush yards department. They threw for more passing yards by them. I think they're the first team since 1950 to not win ever, you know, since ever, really, by doing that. We do both of those things at the same time. The first team, at least since right. 1950. So when these two teams meet again on Thanksgiving, the Ravens, they'll have to come out a lot more mentally sharp. We saw the same exact penalties in this game happen against the Eagles two weeks ago. And I thought, all right, well, with the bye week, they're able to shore up those things. And at the end of the day, you know, the officials didn't help them. This was a game where, On the final drive, the officials seemed to kind of mess the Ravens up a little bit with the clock. There was an injured Steelers player on the last play of the, or the second to last play of the game where you could have added eight seconds back to the clock. Ultimately, they did not. The Ravens only had two more shots at the end zone and the game was lost. But the Ravens, they put themselves in a position to win the game, but at the same time, they put themselves in a position to lose it as well.
1: Well, and, and this is a team that, you know, they, they are expecting to be a Super Bowl team, and this is not the kind of performance in a big game you want to see them in their first chance to sort of shake off the, the stigma of that Chiefs game, but they're going to have plenty more opportunities. Luckily, they're in the Steelers division for better or for worse. It's sort of unluckily, too, because as you said, the Steelers are good. So they're going to get another shot at Pittsburgh and plenty more chances, whether it's in the regular season or January, to prove that they are a legitimate big game team. Kevin, I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. All right. Before we get to more from week eight, let's talk about Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football, but instead of entering the NFL, they've entered another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. One of the marquee matchups of the weekend pitted the 4 and 3 49ers who were coming in red hot against the 5 and 1 Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson took all of the mystery out of this one tossing four touchdowns. He has to be the MVP front runner right now. Corbin Smith from On Seahawks joining me now and Corbin coming off the the loss to the Cardinals. This was a little bit of a a put up or shut up kind of game for the Seahawks and and they I think showed us a lot about who they are as a team.
2: They did, absolutely. And when you consider the players that they didn't have on the field in uniform today, as Pete Carroll said after the game, that made it all the more remarkable. You didn't have Jamal Adams, Chris Carson was out. Their top pass rusher, Benson Maioa, was not playing in this game. They were missing a number of key players. Shaquille Griffin, their starting cornerback, so... A lot of teams would have wielded into that situation, and yet a lot of unsung heroes stepped up for the Seahawks in this game. And they were able to build a pretty significant lead late in the third quarter. And, of course, in typical Seahawks fashion, they had to make it somewhat interesting in the final (laughs) quarter. But found a way to put it away late, and I know Pete Carroll and company will take this win when you consider all of the talented players that did not play in this game.
1: Yeah, is there any concern at this point? I mean, the the Seahawks came in as a bottom-five defense by DVOA. Um, they, they give up 27 points to the 49ers who don't have Debo Samuel. George Kittle leaves this game. Jimmy Garoppolo leaves this game. I mean, at, at a certain point, you're, you're looking at the future and, and January in the playoffs going, okay, if Russell Wilson has to do everything, that might be too much to ask against some of these playoff teams, at least if we're talking about two, three, four games.
2: Yeah, I think, though, this game there's a little different vibe. The fourth quarter was ugly, giving up 20 points. But the first three quarters, that was the best the Seahawks defense has played all yep. season long. They, they held the 49ers to, I believe, 116 total yards in the first half and just 48 rushing yards. And they were finding ways to get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, too. So I think that Pete Carroll is going to look at this game. They're going to be frustrated with the way things ended, giving up, Those three touchdowns in the final quarter, playing a lot more soft coverage and stuff. But they were more aggressive blitzing the first three quarters of this game. They were getting home. Some of the young pass rushers were stepping up. The secondary made some plays. D.J. Reed getting an interception against his former team in his Seahawks debut. He had to enjoy getting a little bit of revenge there. So I think that you have to be a little bit more positive coming out of this game, especially when you consider all of the key starters they did not have on defense today. For them to go out and give up just seven points the first three quarters, again, I think Pete Carroll will gladly take this. It's a nice stepping stone moving forward.
1: Well, and, and keeping the 49ers to 2.4 yards per rush is a, a Herculean task, even with all of your guys. So I, I think the Seahawks made a bit of a statement there. The other thing is, you know, they did it. This is this is sort of a pick-your-poison team. Last week it was Tyler Lockett. This week it's D.J. Metcalf. It seems like if you want to try and shut someone down for this, this Seahawks offense, you're just leaving yourself vulnerable in a kind of way uh, to, to someone else, whether it's Metcalf or Lockett. That makes this offense really hard to defend.
2: It absolutely does. And when you consider that Lockett had 200 receiving yards on 15 catches last week against the Cardinals <laughs> yeah. and Metcalf only had a couple of receptions, and this week, metcalf was the guy with 162 receiving yards out there on 12 receptions it really is a pick your poison ordeal especially when david moore's making plays too he had a touchdown today and he's really emerged their third receiver and what could make this group even better they're still holding out hope here maybe even this next week that's speedy receiver Philip Dorsett is going to be back from a foot injury. And he's another guy that can really beat teams downfield. So there's a chance they could be adding another dynamic vertical threat to this offense for the second half of the season.
1: The last thing here, defensively, you know, we mentioned some of their struggles over the course of the season. They haven't had Jamal Adams, who was their uh, big-time offseason piece. But Bobby Wagner on Sunday, unbelievable effort. A little bit of a throwback performance, had the pair of sacks, a couple uh, hits in the backfield, was was always seemingly around the ball. It's not that he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think most football fans understand that, that he is an elite linebacker, but this was the kind of game that we hadn't seen yet this season. If he's playing like this, he, he can really be a factor for this defense, and, and this can be a sustainable formula for them moving forward, right?
2: I think so. I do think this team is built, especially when you get Adams back, and it sounds like they're hoping next week he's going to be back in the lineup. You're going to have a couple of dynamic players that can really bring the heat as blitzers, and Wagner's always pushing the coaching staff to have them send him more. He wants the opportunities to be a pass rusher, but I think that a lot of the people out there that have been – crying about well he's he's declining his play is going downhill i don't think they're watching enough film i think bobby wagner's played well this season he's just the parts around him have not produced as they expected to today that was a vintage performance though with him getting a couple sacks three tackles for a loss he was just everywhere and and devouring ball carriers that's what he's been doing ever since he came into the league so he is still playing like a first team all pro talent one of the best players in the nfl still now in his ninth season
1: an absolute field tilter at a position where if you have one, it is it is pretty speci- special, excuse me, to have one. Corbin, I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me, Peter.
1: It was a battle of two. No, I swear were for real teams on Sunday when the Saints traveled to the Bears. The Saints prevailed 26-23 in overtime. Ross Jackson joining me now from Locked On Saints. Ross, the Saints get to five and two and they keep pace in the NFC South. But what did we learn if anything about this team? It w- was was there a lot to take away from this game against the Bears team that I don't know, we're not sure it's very good.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a couple of things that you can certainly take away in, in terms of the Saints, you know, this is their third straight victory of 3 points uh separating them Third straight uh, uh, game-winning drive needed as well, and so you know there's some things you could take away in terms of resiliency and in the face of adversity and grit is I know a trigger word that's being used a bunch right now, (laughs) but I mean the fact of the matter is that you know what I take away from this game is that Drew Brees just won his 14th career overtime game, most in NFL history. He's got 53 uh, game-winning drives now that. Puts him one behind Peyton Manning. Those two things are good. The rest, pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and and it was a game where, you know, it seemed like the Saints had it in hand after, of course, the Bears go up early, just as everyone predicted. Um, mm-hmm. Not really. And then <laughs> it, it took the, you know, the Taysom Hill pass. In the fourth quarter, the Saints are up 10. And the Bears just do what the Bears have done all year, We haven't seen the the New Orleans defense quite play to the level of their talent so far this this season. So what's going on there, and and do you see signs that maybe they're getting back on track here? Because I do see a pass rush that seems to be heating up a little bit.
3: Yeah, the pass rush is definitely the place that you look at on the Saints defense if you want good news about the projecting toward the end (laughs) of the season. Uh, The part to where you're not necessarily seeing very much improvement, surprise, surprise, is still the secondary. This time, though, and and I think the thing that makes it so – sort of concerning is the fact that you see it from a different place in the secondary every game sometimes it's marcus williams sometimes it's malcolm jenkins even though malcolm jenkins has had some phenomenal games you you've seen it from the safeties but in this game you saw two back-to-back passes the big 50 plus yarder uh to darnell mooney when with janoris jenkins in coverage who has been the Saints' best player in the secondary or at least most consistent mm-hmm. all season and then you see the touchdown up against Marshawn Lattimore, who did have an interception later on in the game but an interception that had more to do with nick Foles. And, and bad ball placement and bad decision making that it had to do with Marshawn Lattimore's coverage, although he at least put himself in position to be able to make the play on the ball. And so I think that if you want the good news, you certainly look at the pass rush, Marcus Davenport coming back, although there were a few times where he was getting up very slowly from certain plays. So I'm a little concerned about what his health might look like mm-hmm. in the injury report coming up next week. But let me not project and just try to live in this place of positivity that that is certainly a place where you can look to see improvement for this Saints defense, even with Sheldon Rankin's going down he did avoid after his MRI it's MCL injury but avoided serious injury so they're expecting him to miss somewhere around three weeks but that is a much better situation than what they've seen with his injuries in particular in the past and so this has been a defense that has been a bit of a second half defense we've seen them allow no more than seven points over the last few games this time they allowed 10 and that certainly puts you in a position where those three points especially when you miss a field goal early, field goal early on in the game those are going to make a big difference.
1: Let me ask you a perhaps unanswerable question. I love those. What is going on with Michael Thomas?
3: oh I can no that is an easily answerable question Uh, I mean it's just it's just stacking of injuries I mean he had the uh, ankle got rolled up on during the first week and so once he finally worked his way back from that uh, maybe not an injury here but then he had the altercation with CJ Gardner Johnson who also drew quite a bit of attention in today's game against the Bears with
1: uh, maybe that's the better question why do people like punching (laughs) CJ Gardner Johnson I
3: think we need a new stat line for CJ Gardner Johnson just to (laughs) (laughs) terms of like time elapsed between taking punch but uh but yeah and then you know so then they have the disciplinary benching for michael thomas in that game or before the uh, chargers game and then in the midst of trying to work his way back onto the field against the carolina panthers just last week, he ends up under you know, taking on a, a hamstring injury in the Wednesday practice there, very likely having to do with the fact that a high ankle sprain, you feel better, but your explosiveness, your, your ability to cut all those things aren't necessarily back. So, I imagine it probably had something to do with whether intentional or unintentional overcompensation on the leg, and then that led to the hamstring being pulled. But he was limited in practice the last two games. But, you know, the Saints essentially had already developed a game plan that was going to be run heavy, which we saw them really lean on here, or at least extension of the run heavy as well. And we saw them lean on that game plan. And so I I wouldn't be surprised to see him back against Tampa, uh, but not really a question that's unanswerable. It's just been unfortunate injury after injury for him so far this
1: season. Given what we've seen from the the Saints and the Bucs the last few games, do you believe, despite the week one win, the Saints are... A better team right now than the Buccaneers? Oh, no, no, certainly not.
3: (laughs) I, I, no. And, and that's not, that's not to be rude to the Saints or anything like that, but I think that the Saints team that you're going to see against Tampa Bay next week. May be the first time that the team has been fully assembled since week one. So there's not really a gauge in terms of how successful they can be because they haven't actually gotten to play together at all so far this season. And so I think that's something you have to factor in as opposed to you know them being a team that has trended upwards because of the fact, well, record-wise, because of the fact that they've been able to win in those hotly contested games without. Uh, you know, working around injuries to star players, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have gotten better and more consistent with one another and started to gel with one another in, in, in place. And I do think that the you know the Antonio Brown ad will probably draw some attention for certain, but for the most part, the players that you have seen making plays for them all season are going to be the guys that are going to make plays that weekend at that Sunday night game against the Saints. And so, uh, look, historically, these two teams tend to split games, particularly the one in Tampa tends to go to Tampa, the one in New Orleans tends to go to New Orleans. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that rhythm come back into play after the saints did win both games and swept last year i just don't think you can take too much from the week one game where the saints were maybe more cohesive and then apply that to this upcoming week nine game where i imagine you'll see the bucks be more cohesive
1: the nfc south leads the league in receivers who you would expect to be involved in a fist fight in a given week that's for sure (laughs) ross i appreciate it bud
3: absolutely man always a pleasure
1: before we finish up, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's not lip service. That is for real. I have tried them all. I'm telling you, I have walked down that aisle and I have grabbed every bar that is there. I've tried them all over the course of my life. Most of them are really bad. Built Bar is delicious. All 100% covered in chocolate. And they've got six new flavors, flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, carrot cake. And that's to go with a stable of all-star flavors like peanut butter brownie, German chocolate, mint brownie, salted caramel. These things are delicious and not just delicious, but they are not going to blow your diet. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. This is for someone who wants something that tastes great. But isn't going to make you feel guilty, is not going to make you pack on the pounds. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code locked on to get 20% off at builtbar.com. It may be a long time since the the Dolphins were in the headlines, but they were absolutely a major story heading into this weekend as Tua Tagovailoa takes over in Miami. And not only. Did he make his debut with the Miami Dolphins? Got a little bit of a surprise win with a 28-17 win on Sunday. Kyle Krabs joining me now from Locked on Dolphins. And Kyle, not very often a team can, can lose the yardage battle 471-145. And not just win, but but win convincingly. This was a bizarre kind of game, but you still have to be impressed with what Miami was able to do on Sunday.
4: For sure, and, and I think the bigger takeaway here for the Dolphins amid you know all the narrative about Tua tonga and his first career start with the Dolphins and having to face Aaron Donald, the Dolphins won this team courtesy of special teams and defense. Yeah. And they scored a touchdown, Tua tonga scored through his first career touchdown pass on the final play of the first quarter to tie the game at 7-7. And throughout the next 11 minutes of game clock, the Dolphins ran five offensive snaps and outscored the Rams 21 to nothing. It was unbelievable. And of the five snaps that they played, it was a handoff that was fumbled by Miles Gaskin inside their own 15 yard line. It was a three and out that featured two drops by wide receiver Preston Williams. And it was a one yard touchdown run from the offense. So it was effectively the Dolphins didn't take the field in the second quarter at all and outscored the Rams 21 to nothing. It was it was a very odd game all around, but the Dolphins total team effort for this win and, and a very well-deserved team win.
1: And, and I think it speaks to the quality of Brian Flores and, and we have you know known going back to last year, I mean he had this team ready to play seemingly every week the week 17 game against the Patriots stands out as one of those just coach moxie toughness kinds of of wins and they've been able to do it as you said with defense with special teams, you know someone like Eric Rowe. Who is not Xavier Howard is not a Byron Jones is not the big name kind of player. He goes out. He has five passes defense, mm-hmm. including the interception. They get contributions from guys all over the field, and that's exactly what Bill Belichick did in the in terms of you know the Brian Flores coaching tree. I don't want to say you know Flores is Belichick yet, but that's how they're winning. And I don't know if that's a sustainable format moving forward. What is what is your position on on just how far the coaching part of this can take the Dolphins?
4: I think that's the exciting part. Is you're you're starting to see the talent in some phases of the team catch up to where the coaching is yep. uh, with the organizational approach that Brian Flores brings, and he's very big on delegating to all of his coaches. And, and one of his biggest points of emphasis is finding. Coaches that teach instead of just yelling at guys mm-hmm. or here's your responsibility, they, they teach concepts. And It sounds like a very elementary concept for any casual football fan, but then you see some of these coaches that go out here and the way that they run their programs, it doesn't work like that. Nope. So for the Dolphins, it's, it's day by day, week by week, get better. So you look at where the Dolphins were from week one to week 17 of 2019 exponential growth you look at where the dolphins especially their defense which is now at this point number one in scoring defense in the entire nfl which is pretty surreal yeah, remarkable. based on how the, the patriots dropped 215 something rushing yards on them in week one and the dolphins lost by 10 points yeah. to progress to where they are at now and then you think about that with Tua a and that's where you can start to get excited about what this is going to look like in two months
1: well and and if you go back to week one of last year and think of how far the growth has come when you know teams like the baltimore and new england are beating them by a hundred points and to see where they are now it really is remarkable i want to talk about tua before we get out of here because of course his his first nfl start is a big deal the numbers are not going to be mind-blowing by any means, but he's still going to ultimately decide the ceiling of this team. If he can get better and we add all those things that we talked about, it seems like this is a team that can be as good as it wants to be because Tua, assuming you you agree that he is an elite talent, as most most talent evaluators do, this team really has a lot of potential growth it can still make.
4: Yeah, it's especially when you look at it with the schedule falling the way that it does, where they have Arizona the, uh, this upcoming week, and then they have the Chargers, uh, the Jets, the Broncos, yeah. and the Bengals are their next five football games. So <laughs> at the Dolphins at four and three, absolutely, and I'll say this about two in his performance. There were four. Four dropped passes, three of them were egregious of the he was 12 of 22 for 93 yards and a touchdown. And I think if you if he didn't suffer those drops, you're probably looking at 16 of 22 for 150 yards and a score. So very modest numbers, but it would have looked a little bit better than what the actual box score Uh, seem to suggest uh, just kind of looking and glazing over it at a surface level. But yeah, Peter, I think you're right. And if Tua's who they think he is and who they committed to and want to invest their future into, the future might be 2020 for the Dolphins as far as making the postseason. Maybe not winning playoff games or deep postseason runs, but this Dolphins team has a lot that's set up very favorably for them moving forward.
1: I, you have to be excited about what this team is capable of and and certainly you look at them and and after what we saw on Sunday from from the Patriots and the Bills the Bills have come back down to earth a little bit if you're Miami you have to be thinking why not us in in the AFC East this year and moving forward a, a really fun team to watch here Kyle I appreciate it right on thanks for having me Peter all right Ross and Luke will be back for your Tuesday show A loaded week, a huge week nine slate with a ton of marquee games. This is when the season really starts to get fun. Once you hit Halloween, you start to understand – who the teams are, what they can be, who the contenders are, and who the teams that are really just jockeying for trap position. So we're getting into the stretch run in the NFL. So make sure you are always following everything we're doing here. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find locked on NFL. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski, of course. Go check out Locked On Packers if you're not already doing it. 49ers fans, great week to check out Locked On Packers. One more game tonight. It's Bucks giants to complete the Week 8 slate, and we're on to Week 9. So everything we do here on the Locked On Podcast Network is to get you ready for every game, every week, to make sure you stay Locked On NFL.